0: Or we always have something to attribute the cause for our anger. And as I've talked to different ones about it, I realize that a lot of times we don't realize that the Bible says we can be angry. But it also gives us parameters concerning our anger. And it is there is nothing wrong with anger if it is the right kind of anger. But if it's the wrong kind of anger, it can be very debilitating and destructive. And uh, it can be a God-given vice or a virtue. And if it can be controlled, we won't be destroyed. If we can't control it, it'll destroy us. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Paul the Apostle begins to teach a lot of teaching that, of practical Christianity. We could start in verse 11 where it talks about giving apostles and prophets and, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Paul says the desire, the reason, the purpose for apostles, prophets, pastors, and evangelists, is to cause you and me to be edified to the place where we mature enough that we come into become into unity with one with another and grow up in him. Now, what's the what's the significance of growing up in him? You know, Paul the Apostle talks about as sincere as babies desire the sincere milk of the word. When we're first born again, if we're born into the family of God, that means we're little babies or infants, doesn't it? How many of you know there's nothing more tragic than to see a baby born that doesn't grow? I have been in families where, I've been around families where I said to a young, one, young man one time, I hadn't seen him in several years, and I didn't remember his exact size, and I said, boy, have you ever grown? And he kind of went like this, and his mom and dad said, no, he hasn't. He hasn't grown an inch in the last six years. They just found out what the problem is, they're going to start giving them some kind of medication to help him start growing. And I you know, you say something like that and after you say, Oh, I would have been more sensitive. I, I didn't realize that. But if you think that's tragic, how tragic it is to see Christians year after year after year after year that never seem to grow. Now, Paul says we're to grow up in him. Now, growing up in him, and the only way we're going to grow up in him is as the Apostle Paul says, that I may know him. And the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. How we grow up in Christ. To know the power of His resurrection. What does that mean? His the resurrection power of Christ operating in our lives, creating a new creation in us. We have a new heart and a new life, and we're a new person in Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't happen overnight, by the way. You know, it's wonderful to have little children. You think, will they ever grow up? And then when they grow up, you think, oh, I wish they hadn't grown up so quickly. You know what I mean? It depends on which way you look at it. But many times I wish my children were back when they were small so I could hold them on my lap and talk to them and teach them again. Instead of having them teach me, you know. But wouldn't it be wonderful to see every Christian grow up in Christ? Verse 15, that speaking the truth and love may grow up in him, into him, in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which That ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here, as an act of our will, we put off the old man and we put on Jesus Christ. Verse 24, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore... Now, after saying all that, he comes to a conclusion, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Anger is right when it's aimed what? At sin and not the sinner. When I say directed anger or resentment or bitterness, it must never be directed toward a person. Someone says, yes, but you don't, it doesn't make any difference what they do or say. God's word says it's not to be directed at a person, but at the sin. That's why Jesus said, love. Husbands, love your wives. He says, love your neighbors. He said, love your what? Enemies. Those that do the vilest things to you, you may hate what they do, but Jesus demands that we love them. Now the reason for that is very important because over and over again in the Word of God it says if we don't forgive others their trespasses to us God will not forgive our trespasses. In Matthew 18 he said if you don't forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you He God Himself will turn us over to the tormentors. God Himself. Now the devil doesn't do it there. When we refuse to forgive another person God Himself allows the tormentors access to us. You say, is that possible? That's what he said in Matthew 18. You remember when Satan came to, to God's throne and said, look at Job down there. No wonder he's so wonderful. No wonder he's following you. Look how you blessed him. And what did God say? And He said, if you just let me get at all that stuff that you've given him, he'll curse you to your face. God says, oh, have you considered my servant Job? He's upright in all his ways. He's a perfect man. There's no problem, no sin in that man. He is walking uprightly before me. His heart's right with me all the time. Oh, let me get a hold of him. He says, okay, you may touch his possessions, but you can't touch his body. Second step, he came back and said, let me at his body. He said, I know that if you let me at it, if he was wrong the first time, he wouldn't say, hey, I was wrong in the first case, but now I know there'll go one more step. I'll nail him. Let me touch his body. And God says, oh, I'll touch his body, but what? Don't take his life. I want to tell you something. God is in control of these situations with the believer. And all of his friends came and told him he had sinned. And he said, I know I haven't sinned. You know I have... Don't say you haven't sinned. before boy, you guys are some kind of comforters around here. I know my God, my heart and I know I haven't sinned against God. And yet all these things happened to him. Jesus said, if we do not forgive, it's to our detriment." If we do not totally forgive, it's detriment. Yes, but you don't understand how much I was hurt. How much was God hurt by our sin? And yet God forgave. Jesus on the cross, nails in his hands, nails and he "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing." Let me tell you something. There are a lot of dumb sheep today that don't know what they're doing and saying. But they're not your sheep. They're the Lord's sheep. It's not for you to fleece them. It's not for you to dehorn them. It's not for you and me to try to do something. Just it's to. Pray for them and to love them and to encourage them wherever they are. Now, when we don't, then we open the door. What does it say there? Neither give place to the devil. Don't give a landing strip to the devil. Don't give him room to maneuver. How do we do it? By failing and refusing to forgive, even as God, for Christ sake, has forgiven us. So, all I'm telling you here is the, the, the reason that, that we receive the end result. Do this, God says, this will happen. Do that, something else will happen. You and I choose what's going to happen. Forgive, you'll be forgiven. Don't forgive tormentors. See, yeah, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Why does he say that? He's trying to warn. What did he say to the children of Israel? If you'll do this, you'll be the head and not the tail above and not beneath. So you'll be blessed. All the, your, your crops will be blessed. Your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit of the ground will be blessed. All your spices will be blessed. Everything will be blessed. You do that and you now if you don't, here's the other side. If you don't, this and this and this and this is going to happen. you choose. They chose and, man, they got it. And in the the Word of God, over and over again, it says that anger must be redirected away from a person to the sin or the situation where we do not hold resentment against someone else. it must be redirected. First of all, it must be kept in bounds. And secondly, it must be redirected or reconditioned. By the way, let me just say that anger is a conditioned response. You say, what do you mean? Oh. When you were a little kid, you found out if your sister or brother was had something you wanted and you tried to take it and they wouldn't let you take it, you'd get real angry and scream and cry and kick on the floor and swing and smack and hit them and everything else. Finally, they'd back off and you got what you wanted. When you got in school and you started having problems with other kids in school, you found out you'd double up your fist and smack them and get angry with them or scream at them or cuss at them or whatever, they'd back off. And it's a conditioned thing. You learn from the time you're a child. And this is why I keep telling parents, don't allow your children to get angry. Don't allow anger in their life. Deal with anger. Deal with that attitude. If they get away with it. And when they find out when they start dating, they can intimidate their partner. When they get married, they can humiliate and put their partner in their place by getting angry. In their job place, they can get angry and get their way many, many times. It's a conditioned response. We find out that it works. I have seen in families where children have manipulated parents. By their anger. But, well, calm down. Take it easy now. And all the life, the parents are going to, just well. we'll work something out. Don't worry. Just send it down now. Don't realize that we're promoting, we're actually feeding this thing to where they find out, I get what I want when I get that way. It's a conditioned response. Let me tell you, in our home, anger got only one thing, and that was corruption. There's no reason for anger. Why should we get angry? We can cast all our cares on the Lord. What can man do to us? What can man do to us? I mean, the worst thing he can do is kill me. If you'll think logically, that's the worst thing he can do. The best thing he can do for a believer. Paul says, I'd much rather be with the Lord than to be here. I don't know about how many of you know there's no taxes in heaven and no cars is going to break down in heaven. This last two weeks, I have spent buku's of money on that automobile of mine. Every time I turn around, another massive breakdown. This week, I had—I was out in the garage working with the vice, and I was cutting a pipe for some plumbing that had gone bad under my sink and was running all over under the sink, and I had to rebuild all of that. While I was out there cutting one of the pipes, lightning hit outside. The light bulbs in the garage went off, and I found out that they had just gotten a surge and popped, and I put new bulbs in. They worked for a while, and then all of a sudden none of them worked. And I had an electrician come today and found out that there were blowouts all over out in my yard, all over in the different trees and different places where lights were, wires had been burned out and everything. And you know, if i had, that was where I was a Christian, I would have, the sky would have been blue. And the electrician today said, how, you're, you're staying awful calm about this. I said, hey, that's in the Lord's hands. Casting all my care on Him. He's my source. I asked him, he was there all day today. And I said, do you take a second mortgage on the house? He's, like, I can't get done today, Pastor. I'm going to have to come back tomorrow, but I'll get it done as quickly as I can. And you know, the tendency would be to say, dear God, do you know I... I Forget it. God knows my address. Why should I get angry? What good does it do to get angry? How many of you have had opportunities of getting angry at your automobile? Never happened, huh? It really helped, doesn't it? When you kick the tire and slam the door, and all of it. it, really helped, doesn't it? Not a bit. All it does is shows us shakes our cup, and shows us what's in there. It has to be dealt with. That's a conditioned response. If, if you ever have that problem with anger, go back and try to remember the earliest days when you started having that temper. And what the result of that temper brought to you. What, how were you rewarded for it? You'll find that as you got older, you were embarrassed many times afterwards because you let it... You say, I just lost my temper. No, you found your temper. You, you, by the grace of God, you need to lose it. You never find it again. But anger is a conditioned response. I'll tell you, it can have an effect on you. Have you ever, ever called someone and had someone pick up the phone? What do you want? You say, Whoa, what's been going on in that household? You ever had that happen to you? I mean, it doesn't just affect the people that are talking. If you happen to walk into that flame, have you ever walked in a house where you just you can feel the electricity? You wouldn't walk between the two people for fear the, the current would kill you, you know? And you find that people begin to learn how to resist each other and resist each other, build up more and more anger and resentment toward each other and bitterness toward each other, thinking that eventually they're going to win. But that's not the way you win. When I say conditioned response, uh, I remember reading years ago, anybody remember when they they talk about Pavlov's dog, the Russian scientist? He uh, He took a group of dogs and put them in a pen. And every time he was going to feed them, he would ring a bell and then drop food into the pen. And he'd run over and eat the food. And he'd wait a long time again, and he'd ring the bell and drop the food in the pan. And he noticed that the dogs would come running over there, their mouths would be slobbering, you know, because they were hungry and they could hardly wait to get to it. So he tried something. The next time he rang the bell and didn't drop any food, they came running over to the trough, and their mouths were already slobbering all over the place. They had been conditioned now that when they heard the bell ring, that the juice in their mouth started running. You and I have a lot of conditioned situations like that. And... Uh, <laughs> First place, you don't have to answer the bell if you don't want to. But there are a lot of people who know how to ring each other's bells. And the first thing you have to learn is you don't have to answer that bell when it rings. And the only way that can happen is if you recondition your anger. And your mind in saying anger. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of bells in our everyday walk. Our employer sometimes can be a bell. He'll say just the right thing to make you feel like a penny waiting for change. Your wife can be a wonderful bell. She can say just the right thing at just the right time. Now, let me tell you, I, I won't even try to get into it because they know exactly where your goat's tied. They know exactly where to pull the right cord to pop the right string, ring that bell, and they expect that response. Let me tell you something. They have they've learned over years exactly what string to pull to ring the right bell to get the response they want out of it. You're not going to be calm in this one. I'm going to really ring your bell this time. Whee, up you way. I knew that did it. See? And the other way around, the husband knows exactly what saved the wife. Usually it's it's put her down, you know, ignore her, not say anything. That's that's a quiet form of anger. But anger is sin in God's sight. And these are bells that come into our life. Maybe you kids, would your father or mother tell you to do something? When they tell you to clean up your room or something, it's not because they told you to clean up the room. That's a bell that you did not want to hear, and so it brought forth that reaction of anger. Some of you parents, when your children say something to you, and I'll tell you something, I don't know how some parents can stand it today when I see some of the dress codes that we have got in school today. parents let the kids go out the door and if they say anything to them, the kids get very, very angry about it. But uh, anger's not going to be the thing. You've got to love them. You've got to encourage them. You've got to give them positive input. I've known of people who've had neighbors that get them angry every time. I mean, I've known of neighbors who purposely let their dogs out and that have trained their dogs evidently not to do anything in their own yard, but go in the other neighbor's yard, dig up the flowers, tear up the lawn, leave all these nice little, uh, well, I won't go any further, but they, they do this on a regular basis. You talk to the neighbors, say, well, I can't control my dog when he's out in the yard. You know, once in a while, I might do it over and over. And I have seen people let literally become livid and become sick and almost get ulcers. Because of the anger of in and because of what the neighbors all that neighbor's doing is ringing their bell. I'll tell you a real good one. When I say if you love Jesus, honk, get up to a stop sign, and when the person right ahead of them doesn't move when they're supposed to, you ever seen that? I mean, their face gets red, they, they get livid, they're shaking their fist at them, and they're on the bumpers. If you love Jesus, honk. If you love Jesus, I like another bumper sticker better. If you love Jesus, tie it. Anyone can honk their horn, but. Uh, how many times have you been at a stoplight when the stoplight was supposed to change and didn't, and you thought it should? And you say, I've, I've seen people get absolutely livid because the stoplight doesn't turn. And then others, when the light turns green you're sitting right behind them, I always kid about it, I say, it's not going to get any greener in Florida, fellow, let's move it, you know. But I have seen people literally get angry. In, in the past few years, there have been people who, when they stayed at a stoplight too long, someone's gotten out and shot them. Now you laugh at that, but all that is is anger to the next level. Anger has gone to the next level. And anger always never diminishes, it will always increase until we deal with it and we condition our mind. You can respond as angrily and bitterly as you want to, and be as vile as you want to. And the evidence of it is how your body reacts. You ever notice what happens when you get angry? Your fists tighten up, your jaw gets tight, your teeth you begin to grit your teeth, and your muscles. you want to have a good exercise sometime, when you begin to feel that come, just I, I think I told you this several years ago. Just shake your hands, leave your hands open, and shake your arms and hands. And just make your jaw relax. And no matter how much rage you're feeling inside, just keep your hands loose and your jaws loose and just begin to smile. You know what? Those muscles, when the other muscles you are using, the other muscles, the others can't tighten up. It's hard to get mad when your arms don't tighten up and your muscles don't tighten up and your jaw doesn't tighten up. Make yourself completely relax. (laughs) I know, I've counseled families, and I know, to show you how it really works, I've known of husbands or wives who have dreamed that their partner had been having an affair with someone else. They dreamed about it. And when they awakened, they were so mad at their partner, they wouldn't talk to them for two or three days. Full of anger. They said, wait a minute, that was your dream, not me. You dreamed. Well, it doesn't make a difference. It just seems so real. Again, that's the foolishness when we allow anger to get into our system and begin to take control. We don't have to because Paul the Apostle says in Romans the 12th chapter in verse 2, And be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Anger can be a blessing when it's used properly, and if it isn't reconditioned and redirected, it'll destroy us. And the only way it can be redirected is by the renewing of our minds, by establishing new thought patterns, so that we do not give a landing strip to Satan himself. Once he gets a foothold, someone said that anger is the mother of all evil. We do and think and say things we would never do, say or think, and we're not angry. Just recently, a teacher, one of the teachers, had a uh, had to discipline a young lady in school, and the daughter went home and told the mother, and the mother became livid and called the teacher and said all sorts of vile things to this teacher. I mean, and later on, uh, once she went into the school, first of all, she talked to the lady at the desk, and she said all kinds of vile things to her trying to get a hold of the teacher. The teacher had already gone home. And so she came, went home and called the teacher and just gave all this stuff about the teacher and how horrible it was and the crook and the thief and all this stuff. And after about two weeks, the principal let this mother quiet down a little bit and talked to her as quietly as he could, tried to keep her calm after two weeks. And said, now, could it just possibly be? Possibly. No, I'm not saying it was, but possibly... When you get angry, you might say something you wouldn't otherwise say. And then you find, well, maybe I say something. You know, the truth of the matter: the woman went off her rocker, said all kinds of vile things, where she could have been actually charged with all kinds of charges for what she said and, and did about this teacher. I want to tell you, something, we come into a very dangerous position when we don't deal with anger, because before long, we were turned over to the tormentors. They take control, and then after a while. They can completely destroy us. Because anger is actually a, a sign of weakness. Look at, at Proverbs, the 25th chapter with me. Proverbs chapter 25, 28. Proverbs twenty five, twenty eight. He that hath no rule or restraint or cannot bridle in his own spirit or his own passions and his own emotions, in other words, anyone who cannot bridle in his own passions and emotions is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You hear that? He that hath no rule or control or restraint over his own passions and emotions is like a city that is broken down and without walls, open to any enemy that wants to come in. You're open to the full attack of broadside attack of the enemy. If you can't control your own emotions and your own actions, it's a very serious thing that we have to realize because it is a sign of insecurity, it's a sign of fear, it's a sign of instability. Where so we strike out in fear and, and, uh, in defiance. When I say weakness and insecurity. What I'm trying to say is, if you really know the Lord and love the Lord and know the Lord in your life and know the steps of righteous men are ordered to the Lord and know that all things work together for good and then love God, what difference does it make what people say or do about us or to us? Are you with me? So important for you to see that. If it, you really trust them, it's the insecure person that has to get angry. Angry. It's the weak person that has to get angry because that's the only way of means of defense. And what does the word say? The Lord is our defense. He's our shield and buckler. We're to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't have to defend ourselves. He shall bring forth our righteousness as the light and our judgment as the new Rest in the Lord. We don't even have to justify ourselves. You see, we get very defiant and then afterwards we blame our background, our family, our circumstances, our society, uh, other, other people around. It's their fault. If they hadn't done, if they hadn't said, if this hadn't happened, if I hadn't lost, it, I, all, no, 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 no. All they're doing is showing us what's inside that needs to be dealt with. We need to deal with it. It's very serious. 2 Timothy 1-7. 2 Timothy 1 7, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound or disciplined mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful and strike out in anger. Totally unnecessary. Commit it to the Lord completely. Verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We believe that? All of our past, all of our history, all of our family of the past. Now I want to tell you something. The reason this is so important to me is because I came out of a background where I had one horrible, horrible bad temper, full of anger, full of resentment, full of bitterness. People just didn't want to get around me when I got mad. I did all kinds of crazy things. One time they had to literally grab me and drag me off of a fella. I was so angry I had him by both ears. After I'd taken him down, he was much bigger than me. And I was pounding his head on the concrete and I couldn't stop. I was so full of anger. I picked up another fellow one time up over my head and brought him down right across my knee and put him in a back brace for a whole year. I took a sister and threw her right out through the bay window. When I got saved, my answer was, get out of my way or I'll punch you. When I went to Bible college, I want to tell you, that went over like a ham sandwich in the Jewish synagogue. It just didn't work. And I decked a lot of the students in the Bible college, and I'd have to go back and ask them for forgiveness. And somebody told me, you need to see what study what the Word of God has to say about anger. And I kept saying, Lord, take this out of me. I don't want to care. And it finally came to place later on after I got married. My family would say, well, can't you get just a little bit angry? I said, no, I don't want to. Why should I? What good does it do? It only destroys me and I'm not out to destroy myself. And Paul said that God's way is a better way. But I just want you to know that God's concerned about our attitude in anger. It always works out that we become turned over. He says, so Whomsoever you yield yourself service to obey, his service you become. If you become the servant of anger, anger is going to use you every way it can and then finally destroy you. That's why we can't let anger or any of his cousins in—resentment, bitterness, hurt, any of those things. not No, no, no. Don't let them in. Well, I've got every reason. I want to nurse this thing. No, get rid of that sucker. It'll kill you. Yeah, no, but it feels good to just. No, don't, don't let it. Don't appease it. Don't try to. Don't try to feed that thing. Kill it. You know, we need to really ask the Lord to help us as believers to genuinely love one another. How can I love them because they're in Christ and you're in Christ? Yeah, but what they do, you and I just do something else that irritates someone else. We all do different things that irritate other people. But the scripture says, they're not your servant. They're the Lord's servant. It's not, you know, let me just, let me explain something to you. If you and I take another brother or sister in the body, and put them on an operating table and say, I know what needs to come out of them. And start hacking and chopping to try to pull these things out of them. We can never sew them back up and make them work right again. But ask the Lord to put them on His operating table. It's nice. I mean, I, you know, how many of you would like to give, give me your car and ask me to rebuild your engine? I would do it and a week later bring a whole bucket of bolts along. The I, did. I don't know where these things ever here. I just take, take it, you know. You know, that's just exactly what happens when you and I try to operate on another brother or sister in the Lord. I know where most of you are, thank you. I love you right where you are. Do I see problems? Sure. But that's not my responsibility to straighten you up. It's my responsibility to teach you what the Word says. And after I do this, it's not even my responsibility to go any further than that, except to encourage you. You know, a lot of times people wonder, well, why are you so calm about what's happening in the church? They that rest, just as wait patiently on the Lord. Do what you're supposed to do, and accept the Lord build the house. They that labor, labor in vain. If I teach you what's involved in in, in calling, in, in witnessing, in sharing, and in inviting others out, and what it means to walk in the Spirit, to lead the Spirit filled life, how to reach out and, and love each other, other people, try to draw them in, and you don't respond, all I can do from then on is pray. Say, Lord. What are you trying to show me? Is it something I haven't seen yet? Is it something I need to know yet? You know, I could get in a great big sweat about it. It's not that I'm not concerned. But I take my concern, cast all my care on the Lord, so He cares for me. You know something, if the Lord doesn't change you and me, we're not going to change. You hear me? No matter what I say or what I do, will never change you when I eat it. Only the Spirit of God can change your heart or mind.